You're listening to the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the topics that matter most in the consumer and retail industries. I'm your host, Monica Toriello. If you're an executive in the consumer industry, you are almost certainly looking to grow sales and looking for healthier margins, and you want your business to become more sustainable. It's probably safe to assume that every company wants to do three of those things, all three of those things, which are all getting harder to do. But what if there was something your company could do that would help with all three of those? And today we're going to talk about exactly that, an approach that we call driving triple wins. And it has to do with design, specifically product design and packaging design, which are so core to the consumer industry and increasingly important in a consumer landscape like we're in today, where consumers are very selective about what they buy. They're not as loyal to brands as they once were, and they're you know looking to get more bang for their buck. And the Triple Wins approach has helped companies, again, not just grow sales, but also increase margins and reduce emissions. And here with us today are three McKinsey leaders who have worked alongside dozens of companies to revolutionize their product design processes and capture Triple Wins. So let me briefly introduce each of them, and then we'll get right into it. Dave Fedewa is a partner in the Atlanta office. Dave co-leads McKinsey's work in consumer and household durables in North America. And he also co-leads our work in growth by design, which encompasses much of what we'll be talking about today. Welcome, Dave. Hi, thanks for having me. Jennifer Schmidt is a senior partner based in Minneapolis. Jen has worked with more than 100 consumer companies globally, and she's led our work in the apparel, fashion, and luxury sector in North America since 2010. She also leads our work in product development and procurement. Thanks for spending time with us today, Jen. Nice to be here. Thank you. And Warren Teichner is a senior partner based in New York. Warren leads McKinsey's consumer packaged goods practice in North America, and he advises CPG manufacturers as well as companies in the retail, consumer health, and private equity industries. Thanks for being here, Warren. It's great to be here. Thank you. Let's start with the consumer, because we're talking about product design in consumer goods. So it's really all about the consumer, right? Meeting the consumer's needs. And Warren, you just published a piece on the, the contradictions that U.S. consumers are exhibiting these days. And, and these paradoxical behaviors are evident in global consumers as well, right? They're scrimping and they're splurging. They're feeling a little more stability and they're concerned about inflation. So situate us a bit. Talk about what you all are seeing in consumer behavior and therefore what that means for product design. I think it's a really unique time in kind of consumer behavior. As you mentioned, we really are seeing some very unique behavior that we typically don't see kind of going together. We're seeing consumers behaving in a way that at times would feel kind of contradictory. But when you really look at what it is, I think it reflects a consumer that in some respects feels very good about opportunities and wants to splurge, try new experiences, but at the same time is concerned about the future and how things are going to continue to evolve and is choosing to save in different areas. And I think our big learning around this is you really need to understand the consumer at a much more granular level. You can't think about the consumer's behaviors all in a very kind of consistent way. It's really understanding this kind of, you know, joint and what we're describing is the and behavior, because that is very much the consumer behavior of the future. Yeah. And if I were to build on that more, I totally agree. Having that added level of detail behind the consumer, increasingly granular then needs to translate into product decisions. And there's one world where you would say, hey, given this added complexity and more difficult to figure out consumer, the portfolio would just have to get bigger. And obviously that can't happen. What that means then for the product portfolio and the individual products and the attributes is that you have to be super focused and almost surgical about the attribute decisions that you make. 
so that you understand what's going to happen as as you go forward. I think that's a, a good point, Dave. And, and one of the things we've seen over the last few years is with inflation, brands and, and consumer products companies were able to pass along price. And in some cases, just getting product on the shelf was good enough. And I think now what we're seeing is our clients are looking at both, how do I drive growth? How do I find margin in particular? Margin's pretty precious right now. And then with regulations, particularly in Europe, sustainability is a big is a big issue. So I think that's a, a key part of what we're seeing. And one of my retail clients that I work with in the US is really evaluating not only their store network and, and their fleet and how do I think about electricity and and the things that might be obvious from an operation standpoint, but they're looking at their private brands portfolio and trying to figure out how do they reinvent their product portfolio? How do they do it at scale? And then how do they go back and also ask their vendors or consumer products, vendors and suppliers to also partner with them in a different way? So what is triple wins? I'm conscious I described it as a new approach, but is it a new mindset or a set of new tools or a different way of working? Talk about what it is and how it's different from how companies have historically done product and packaging design. When we talk about triple win, we're talking about three big things that I think all of our clients are facing right now. There's obviously a need for a lot more growth. Cost is similarly incredibly hard to find right now, but critical to having sustainable margins. And then the environmental sustainability aspect is really important. We have a lot of clients who have set great aspirational goals but are finding it hard to get. Every company's going after those three as hard as they can. What we often see is that companies are going after those in a little bit more of a siloed approach. What we're finding though, and especially for our clients that have a physical product, being able to move the needle on any of those three is locked up in the product. So like the majority of the cost is set when the product design is set. Growth, and that can be price and quantity. Like Jennifer said earlier, there historically has been the ability to take price that is no longer there for lots of good reasons, unless you have the attributes to justify it. Sustainability is the third one. So our research shows something like 80% of the carbon that a product related company is going to admit is locked up in their product designs. And so that's why we say the triple win is about getting really surgically and deeply into the product design and understanding all of those different levers. Sometimes our clients look at that and say, well, I, it's a trade-off. It's an or, growth or cost or sustainability. What we're finding is that when you actually do get into it at the level of depth and with the right tools, it's an and, right? We can get growth and cost and sustainability. And that's what we would call the triple win. The other aspect of this is just much more transparency in what the consumer wants and their expectations, what information and data we have on how much things cost. So a breakdown and a should cost of all the different component parts of a product, and then all the greater transparency and detail that we have on traceability, on where product is made and all the elements of, of transport. So the data and the analytics is also enabling this different approach such that you can come together, you bring together a designer, you can bring together R&D, you bring together a marketer, you bring together procurement, finance. It's a team sport now of, of all the different functions coming together and really using that information and taking that to a creative and a product and a cost base that really can deliver all three that Dave just mentioned. 
think most people have approached design in a very kind of consumer back way. And it's always been kind of the core of what makes a consumer goods company. You have a very consumer backed innovation process. However, that linkage through to kind of the, the rest of the organization in terms of thinking through what does it mean from a manufacturing and from a supply chain perspective, typically tended to be very kind of modular. This approach is much more focused. It's kind of really linking those pieces together much more in an iterative way. And I think you're really seeing both just quicker design and innovation, but innovation that really meets the needs of the consumers because ultimately getting to the right value proposition and the right packaging and all of that is very core to the consumer experience. Jen, you've talked about, you know, it being actually consumer centric. Talk a little bit about how the triple wins approach is more consumer centric than traditional design approaches. People have always wanted to know what consumers are doing, right? So what is it that's enabling companies right now to be more consumer centric and and get more insights about consumers? The internet is honestly providing so much more information that we didn't always have and we haven't known how to use. So you can use scraping data, you can use feedback data. We have a suite that we use that does ratings and reviews, and it provides a ton of information. Gen AI now is allowing us to scrape information and feedback from consumers. So combining that with more traditional approaches to to research, like ethnographic research and user testing, is really bringing together then that qualitative view of what the customer might want with a quantitative measurement and confidence for product designers and R&D leads to be able to know this is probably going to work. And then we also have ability to rapidly create product. So we can create product in CAD and in more digital surrogate and twins that allow us to really iterate and get live consumer feedback as well on that, whether it's a prototype or a sample or putting something into market for a quick test. That's also really advanced the speed at which we can get products to market and then really understand that feedback and quickly revise and iterate. We're all aware of how much free text data is out there and whether that be reviews or social media or call center logs or returns comments. And even by the way, if it's not free text, it could be voice, right? But the tools now are there to convert all the voice content that's out there. We can now quote unquote read 50,000 comments in two or three days and separate them out into attribute, brand, sentiment, pain points, you know, really actionable insights at the SKU level and we can roll it up and down, right? SKU all the way up to category. Sorry, Dave, what is that tool? Is it AI? Like, is it gen AI? What is it? Yeah. I mean, it's a mix of AI and large language model and natural language processing and advanced scrape technology and voice to text. It is one of these things like there's all of these things have come together now to the point where, I mean, 10 years ago, the accuracy of natural language processing was probably like 80% which seemed okay. But then when you think about that, like uh, that means two out of every 10 comments you're getting wrong. And so it's not good enough. Now it's 95 plus. And not only that, it can tell you when it's not sure and you could kick it to a human, right? Or you could just say like, look, the comments you're not sure if I get 50,000, I'm not going to worry about the ones I'm not sure on, right? That technology has just advanced incredibly to the point where now you can get really granular insights that before you may have had to run a really big survey, which by the way, would have been what they call aided input. Instead of that, we can run this analysis in a couple of days and it's unaided, which is in a lot of ways, cleaner and better input from from the consumer base. The digital tools have advanced to the point now where you can do a pretty good, like almost ethnography 
with the phone. So instead of having someone have to follow someone through their shopping trip and then going home and then how did you prepare and take it out of the fridge and things, which there's still some value in getting that deep. Now you can have someone do all those same things with you, but you don't have to travel and go be with them and all those things. They're, they're doing them on their phone and you're collecting amazing insight. You can edit that video such that a broad set of cross-functional clients can see it and benefit from it. And you can get, instead of what used to be maybe 10 or 15 samples in a really expensive long-term ethnographic piece of research, we could get 50. Another tool that we found to be really helpful in the world of consumer is the concept of a really small scale pilot. This is something that retailers are getting rapidly more advanced on, but some of the consumer package good players aren't necessarily leveraging. So when I say really small scale, I mean like 10 stores. The beauty of this is I now can make a production run to satisfy that at a cost that's dramatically lower than the normal kind of regional or, you know, a couple DCs at a time type of a pilot. The other beauty of it is that I can do it much faster because the level of market risk is an order of magnitude smaller. 10 stores, it's like, you know, I'm not going to ruin the brand with that. What's like your favorite story of a company that has put triple wins into practice and like what the impact was? Maybe you can just tell us a case example. I think one of the best examples is a restaurant, famous restaurant, everybody would have heard of it, has a very specific look and feel to its product and had a desire actually started from a consumer need. So product was too hot. The packaging would fall apart. And we were able to pull together insights and information on, on how the customer was using the product, how the customer was using the product in the restaurant, in their cars, at home. And also then bring that together with a different way of thinking about design that would break through, I think, prejudices that oftentimes people have and designers have a certain way of, of doing something. And so this was a really big win. We were able to come up with breakthrough in all three of the different components of making the customer happier and having, you know, saving, even when you save pennies on every cup or every box that's at a million of those, they, it adds up to the millions of dollars of value. And then you also are doing something that's biodegradable and easier to recycle and doesn't need to be recycled as often if you can reuse it. So that's one of my favorite stories. I'll start with one that comes from the world of food. They had a product that I was doing what I'd say is fine, right? Just kind of fine, but a little bit flat, they needed more margin. they running a little bit short on their carbon emissions goals. And as we looked into it, we took a really broad lens, right? So everything from what is the package and could it be designed more efficiently to what are the ingredients in the food to a lot of the consumer insights on what do people like? And most importantly, what are they not like about the product? Given that broad lens, we found some really interesting things. So one of the first most simple things was the box had some extra air in it. It actually wasn't very much. It's on the order of like a quarter inch. You're talking about a very small amount of space. And, you know, in the past, they've been kind of like, yeah, there's air there, but it's not the end of the world. It's doing fine. What they had not done was the math on what that quarter inch is worth. When it was all summed up, came up to like eight digits, very big number. With the benefit of all the other insights, we were able to say, hey, there's a lot we could actually do with that. Like maybe we take half of it to the bottom line, but the rest of it, we should invest in growth. And now we know where these pain points are, right? So 
there's some new packaging technologies that can help us with the taste profile and texture of the food and make that better. On top of that, the carbon savings as a result of getting more, if the product's smaller, getting more on the truck. When we did that math, it turned out to be quite substantial as well. The final thing I'll call out, the benefit is now I can get more on the shelf. And so the more I can get on the shelf, the less I stock out, the more I sell. And given the nature of Instacart and the omni-channel and things like that, the, the challenge of staying on shelf on a store SKU basis has gotten really hard. And so even 10, 20% more on the shelf can turn into three or 400 bips of growth at the SKU level. I'm going to give an example, which in some ways goes the opposite direction to typically a lot of cases when we do this is we've been working with, again, it was a, a food manufacturer. They had launched a product which had been very successful for them, but had really been focused on kind of capturing the convenience of the markets. This was a product that kind of consumers could have on the go. And the product was thriving and growing very strongly. And I think there was a strong belief that the growth of the product was being driven by that it was meeting a consumer need around convenience. It was individually packaged. It was easy to take to work for lunch. People were putting it in school lunches. And as we got into the work and actually started to really understand the kind of consumer needs and what was driving the margin of the products, we actually found that people were looking for a convenience offering. But the convenience was actually less about being on the go, but more in the kind of meal preparation and being easy to eat. And a lot of the food consumption was actually being taken place at home. And so we moved away from the individual packaging types, which helped from a sustainability perspective, helped from a pricing perspective, and really focused on that it was really about the convenience and the prep. And honing in on those components allowed them to actually grow their market size without having to make any fundamental changes to the actual underlying product. Those are interesting examples. On the people front, what does this take? Is it like hiring new types of folks with different skills? Is it plucking people from different parts of the organization, maybe, and putting them into like new teams? Does it take new incentives? What have you seen work and what have you seen not work? Having patience, making sure that you don't abandon the approach too quickly. It does require time to learn how to embed the approach within the organization. You need to make sure you're putting some of your best leaders in the approach. What it requires is very much a different way of working. It requires a much closer collaboration between your design teams, your innovation teams, your supply chain teams, your engineering teams, your marketing teams. Across the board, you need a much more integrated core way of ultimately working. It certainly requires organizations to have different incentives to enforce that core collaboration, to drive metrics which are more balanced. It's less about, am I just focusing on growth, but how am I thinking about a more balanced scorecard of different metrics? Where I've seen some of my clients struggle more is where they try to take people on the team who just have only known one way of working and get them to repurpose the way they work. I think this does require a completely different way of working. It's much more, to overuse the term, a much more agile way of working. Not everybody finds that a kind of comfortable transition. Yeah, I think some of the lessons that we've learned in doing this are, if you would typically think about an innovation pipeline and an innovation sessions at a consumer products company, it would be some marketers, it would be some insights teams, and it would be some people who deal with product specifications. And it might have a kitchen, they might have a lab, they might have an environment in which they're more used to doing this type of work. And I think getting them out of that environment and then bringing in, as Warren was mentioning, bringing in a wide variety of other 
parts of the organization. So somebody from sales, somebody from supply chain, somebody from IT. Some of these solutions that we're finding are not just even physical, they're digital. So a digital experience or a digital product or an app that goes with something. They really just change the experience for a consumer. And so bringing all those people together, I think Monica is one of the, the key things. I think the other part is also having this mentality of we do a standard set of testing, consumer testing. So in consumer products, people use bases testing or have some pretty traditional models for testing. They also have ROI or in-market testing that they do. And this is an approach where you need to do more iterative. You need to test, you need to try, you can put things in market, you can bring things back, you can put things up on the internet and get live feedback. And I think we're finding that that approach as well is much more valuable than a more stage gate approach is what we would have historically seen. And it just takes a long time and things get killed. That actually could be really good. I think we're finding that level of iteration is saving projects and making small projects a lot bigger and then really eliminating things and sunsetting things that won't have a big opportunity. Yeah. I would say if there was a function that I call out that our clients sometimes don't have enough of. It would be around the analytics and the gen AI, you know, how to leverage those newer technologies. If I gave an example, one of the things that we often find as a lever is this concept of skinny design. If I can make the package and product even a little bit smaller, it unlocks a ton of value. To understand the amount of impact associated with, for example, 10% package size reduction actually requires a lot of analytics, starting with what is the supply chain savings? And so someone has to go in and do that math and it's not straightforward. But then on top of that, you have all of the handling costs. And now if I'm getting more on a pallet, my, my handling costs are going down. You have the retail labor of stocking the shelf. And then you have the shelf holding power that we talked about earlier. Of if there's 10, 20% more on the shelf, how much growth can I expect? I think the right skills and talent is there. It's about having the tools and a little bit of the talent around bringing the tools to life in a way that everyone can interact together on them. So is that, what's the first step, right? If I'm listening to this and I say, I want to embark on my triple wins design journey. What do I do? What's the first step? What would you advise executives to do first? Choose a relatively small portion of your portfolio where you've got a couple of products that you either really think have got a lot of potential for incremental growth or things where you've been challenged. Take a focused set of products and then identify a couple of really high profile leaders and people who have the potential to really think differently and with approach and take this approach and really try it out with a focus group of your portfolio. Yeah, I would say pick one or two areas and invest to go really deep and broad. Senior clients have to ask their teams to almost suspend disbelief and just say, look, I, you know, I get it. This might seem like the flavor of the week, but team, we really need this and we're going to try something different. So just roll with me. In our experience, what really changes cultures and mindsets is when you can show a broad group of people that something they thought wouldn't work actually worked. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast. A transcript of this conversation will be posted on McKinsey.com very soon. To suggest topics for future episodes, email us at consumer underscore podcast at McKinsey.com. To stay connected with us, subscribe to our email alerts on McKinsey.com. Thanks again for listening.